verses 10 and 11. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. I love the practicality of this text. It's almost as if Paul had in mind modern man making resolutions for the new year because he's talking about what people had planned a year ago, and then he's asking the very real question, did you carry through with what it was that you planned? Did you actually complete the doing of it? We're going to be looking at that text a little bit more closely later in this lesson. But I want to begin with a story that I heard about a preaching friend that went out to eat breakfast with his buddy over the great state of Texas. And he had just slathered an extra slab of butter onto his biscuit and had cut into a sausage when his friend showed up. Now, to appreciate this illustration, you have to know something about the man's friend. His friend was roughly the size of Wyoming. I mean, just one of those big guys, you know, it looked like he spent at least three hours in the gym every day. He had bulging biceps. The seams of his shirt were strained. He had his own zip code. You know what I'm talking about. And the first thing that he asked is, when he saw Joe uh, being seated was, getting, been getting any exercise lately? You know, the guys who always work in the gym always ask those questions. You been getting any exercise lately, Joe? And he asked that as he was eyeing Joe's cholesterol-laden plate. And Joe said, well, a little. Well, I need to keep up with the exercise, you know. And Joe said, well, I know that. And I've been intending to get with the program. And along those lines, let me ask you this question. And his friend said, sure, anything. And Joe said, what is the best exercise plan? The reply was quick. He said, any plan will work. They're just in two important things to remember. Thing number one. You got to get started. Not next month, not next week, not tomorrow. You've got to get started today. And the second thing you need to remember is you got to keep at it. He said, don't skip a day. Once you start skipping days, then you'll quit completely. And Joe had to admit that his gorilla friend had a point. In fact, I think it's a valid point that applies with equal weight to both physical and spiritual goals. As we're at the end of another year, incredibly, we have a, a great opportunity to be able to think about what it is that we want to accomplish in the new year. And we also have, I think, a responsibility to reflect back on the things that we had planned to do in 2018. And to ask ourselves the very question that Paul asked in this text, did you complete the doing of it? How did you do with those resolutions? I read an article online not long ago, so it had to be true, that... Uh, that said most people abandoned their resolutions about the second week of January. That's just, that's beyond sad, isn't it? In fact, I don't think I would even call that a resolution. I think I would call that a passing whim, perhaps. But God does call upon us to resolve to do certain things in our lives. And the years are serve as, I think, measurable increments that allow us to evaluate how well we've done in making sure that those resolutions come to pass. Joe's was reminded again of the conversation that he had with his friend at the breakfast table one day when he was actually carrying through with his commitment to get in better shape. And he was out in his neighborhood and he was jogging. And he came to a place in the neighborhood where he saw the cars were lining 
both sides of the block for about a half a block. His first reaction was maybe somebody in the neighborhood has died and all the friends are coming over to to comfort whoever is left. But as he got closer, he saw that that wasn't it at all. He saw a sign that had in huge black letters on a fluorescent orange background, garage sale. Well, that wasn't uncommon in his neighborhood either. And he said he didn't stop. But just running by provided him a peek at the merchandise lining the driveway, revealing what he considered to be a powerful insight into his neighbor's fitness failures. Because he said in that garage sale lining the driveway were the following items included for sale. There was an exercise bike, there was a rowing machine, there was a treadmill, and there was a weight bench. And he said every one of them looked like they were in pristine condition. He knew immediately that someone residing at 6718 Cedar Ridge Drive was a repetitive starter and stopper. The conversation with his muscle-bound friend came back to him with a clear and concise two points that his friend had emphasized over breakfast that morning. Get started and keep at it. And really that's advice that should apply and should be exercised in more than, well, exercise. You picture any successful person that you know. You look around or you think about the people that you know who have accomplished a great deal in their lives. And you begin to ask yourself the question, or at least you ought, what has this person done? What are the characteristics or the qualities of this person? What kind of things are going on in their heart? What kind of heart does this person have? But even more In terms of the mechanics, the nuts and the bolts of the process, what does this person do on a daily basis that allows them to accomplish so much and to be so successful in whatever way you decide to define that term? Was he or she lucky? Were they that person that got all the breaks? Were they happened to be at just the right place at the right time career-wise? What was it that contributed to the success of this person? There might have been a small element of any of those things that I just mentioned. But most likely, there were the two primary ingredients that we've already discussed this morning, initiative and then endurance. Actually getting started, as Paul says in our text, but the willingness to persevere to the end, to make sure that you complete the doing of it. And to achieve anything worthwhile, you've got to, pardon the expression, you've got to have the guts to get started, but you also have the grit to keep at it, the Christian life, our spiritual journey As we walk in this world for God, is certainly no exception. And so this morning, I don't want us to think primarily of exercise, even though many of us could use more of it. But I want us to think about our spiritual welfare. I want us to think how well we're doing spiritually and whether or not we're growing and and we're developing in our spiritual existence before God. If we really are more like Christ this year than we were last year? Do we plan to be transformed more into his image next year than we were even this year? Because any list enumerating causes for failure will probably position procrastination very close, if not at the very top of that list. It's not difficult to find people who have good intentions. It's not difficult to find people who have made resolutions. But whether or not they're willing to actually start on it and start on it now is another matter entirely. So we often fail because instead of beginning, we balk. There are at least a couple of of flaws that I want to mention that are fatal to any kind of success, and spiritual success is, is certainly one of those things. Fatal flaw number one, and I hope you're listening very carefully to this because this is vitally important to our spiritual growth in every other area of our lives. 
is waiting for exactly the right moment. So often we want to, even if we're not willing to express this internally, we're, we're waiting for all the conditions to be exactly right before we get started. And that can be an exercise plan. It can be one of the four things we talked about from this pulpit last Wednesday night in terms of our spiritual resolution, studying the Bible, being a more praying person, being more consistent in our prayer life, being more communicative in terms of sharing the good news with those around. All of those things have to do with a spiritual evaluation that we can and should make in our lives. Achievers want what they want badly enough to go after it even when the conditions are unfavorable, even when the wind isn't blowing just exactly in the right direction. And that's a good thing, too, because now watch this. Favorable conditions, are you listening now? Favorably, favorable conditions rarely ever come. If you're waiting for just the right moment, you'll wait a lifetime. And the Bible acknowledges that and talks about it in very practical terms on almost every page. As with most things, if you're waiting for exactly the perfect right time, you'll wait forever. So ask yourself this. What do you want to be doing five years from now? And I'm not going to allow you a lot of time to ruminate on that, but I still think it's a valid question. What do you want to be doing five years from now if the Lord delays his return? If what in your career or even in your retirement, what is it that you want to be and what do you want? How do you see yourself? What do you want to be doing five years from now? And it's, I think, a truly a beneficial, then I hope that it works for you. I hope that you'll do something and that, that is beneficial and commendable, and I hope that you'll carry through with it. But I also hope that you understand that what you'll be doing five years from now is being decided right now. You have to make those determinations. It doesn't just happen to us accidentally. One man's son I heard about was considering returning to school for some advanced education. He was sitting at the table talking to his father. His brother was sitting at the table as well. And, and he be began to kind of grouse and complain as he was thinking about his plans for the future. And he said, you know, but if I go back to school, it'll take five years. And at that point, I'll be 30. Well, his younger brother countered with this argument. He said, you'll be 35 years from now, whether you go back to school or not. Don't you love people who have great logic as long as they don't share it with you? And with that thought in mind, let me ask you again, what do you want to be doing five years from now? Because you'll be five years older whether or not you go for your goal. Whether or not you actually do something to work to make sure that what you're aiming for you actually are able to accomplish there was another preacher friend. I realized that when I was working on this lesson that you're going to get the impression that all that preachers do is go out and eat with their friends. That's not true. They go out and eat with people they don't even know sometimes. But anyway, <laughs> another preacher that I was reading just recently, a book about his, his experiences in the preaching process, had a buddy from church who was a certified public accountant. And he said his CPA friend told him that on his first job, fresh out of college, he was working in a place that had this huge secretarial pool as they did back in the, the, those days. This is a little dated, but back in those days when people had, y'all remember IBM Selectric typewriters and uh, justification of right margins? 
it was a do-it-yourself job, you know. Anyway, that, that was the scenario that he was working in that. And he, and he saw these secretaries tediously because it was an accounting firm. They were tediously having to, to punch in column after column of figures from the top row because that's where all the numbers are on a, on a typewriter, from the top row of the keys on their typewriters. And, and he noticed how awkward that was as they were having to reach for all those numbers, and yet that's primarily what they were doing. And he thought, that's crazy. One of these days, I'm going to find a way to link a numeric keypad to those keyboards and make that job 100% easier. Now, I hope you got all of that. He began with one of these days. His friend went on to build an impressive career, but he let his dream die. And I know you're ahead of me. Today, every full-size computer keyboard includes a keypad. And some guy is sitting on a stack of money. His reward for actually connecting the keypad to the keyboard. His CPA friend had a good idea, but he didn't act. And he lost the game without ever having suited up. Fatal flaw number two is fear of failure. Are you reluctant to try something because you're afraid you'll fail? I know that's the case with us from in our spiritual pursuits. I've mentioned a few times from this pulpit that in every personal evangelism training course that I have ever been a part of, when people are asked, why are you reluctant to share your faith, to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel with those you know, the number one answer by far Far outreaching all other responses uh, is, I'm afraid that I will fail. Uh, that, that somebody will ask a question I don't know the answer to. I'm afraid when it comes time to call for a commitment and to say, are you ready to make the decision to become a New Testament Christian? They'll say no. So whatever the reasons might be, it all can be bundled up into one primary motivation. That is, I'm, I'm afraid I would fail. I'm, I'm afraid of how this may turn out, how, what their response might be. Now think about this. By being too shy to try... You surrender to the exact same result, and that's failure, but this time it's failure by default. I read about a fellow who wanted to have a date with a particular girl while he was in college, and she was drop-dead gorgeous, and for weeks he was thinking about little else. I mean, he, he had his whole speech planned out when he called her on the phone, what he was going to ask her in a way that hopefully she could not say no, but every time... Every time he reached for the phone with her number in hand, he broke out in stammers and in a cold sweat. Bottom line, he never dialed her number because he was afraid she'd say no. Would she, had, would she have said no? Well, maybe. But then again, maybe not. But even if she had said no, he would have been no worse off. But his fear got him the exact same result, and that was no date. And no date is no date, whether it is by rejection or by default. And I hope that we understand that that very thing applies to every other dynamic in our life. There is a life principle at work here that we really ought to think about in the coming new year. And that is, you can't get the date without asking for it. You can't win the race without entering it. You can't achieve the victory without risking defeat. And so we've got to get over this fatal flaw number, number two, and that is the fear of failure, especially in our spiritual pursuits. Andrew Guide is the one who said, man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. He's exactly right about that. 
Theodore Roosevelt said it this way, Far better it is to dare mighty things to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those cold and timid souls who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. He was simply saying we need to at least try. Or if you prefer a line from Shakespeare, here's a good one. Shakespeare said our, do- our doubts are traitors. And to make, it, and make us lose the good that we often might win by fearing to attempt. He's right about that as well. And yet Paul said essentially the same thing by inspiration in our text. So there it is. Success involves risk every time. You cannot, you cannot still second base while keeping your foot on first base. We've got to overcome those two fatal flaws if we're going to accomplish what God would have us to accomplish in 2019. Here's a final recommendation, and that is one we've already mentioned. You've got to keep at it. It doesn't matter really what I resolve for 2019 if I don't keep at it. If I don't have first the initiative to make a resolution, and then secondly the endurance to be able to carry through with it. Dwight Eisenhower said, my mother taught me a lesson I'll never forget. And perhaps, he said, as I look back over the span of my life, it may well have been the greatest lesson that I've ever learned from any other human being. And here's how it happened. He said, while we were sitting at the kitchen table one day playing a game of flinch, which is a card game, with his mother and brothers, Dwight was, uh, was dealt a horrible hand. And so the first thing he said I did was began to complain. And, and he said, I whimpered, I give up, this hand is no good. And Mrs. Eisenhower laid her cards on the table and then fixed her son with a penetrating stare. And she said, Dwight, this is just a game of cards with your mother and your brothers in your own home. And you have been dealt a bad hand. But when you get out into life, the world is going to deal you many a bad hand. When you get a bad hand, you just play it out and let God help you and you'll come out all right. Dwight Eisenhower said, when I was president of the United States, I thought about that experience almost on a daily daily basis because it was a great lesson that he needed to learn. I really hope that you have not been dealt a bad hand in life, but there's a good chance you have. And if you have it, in all likelihood, you will be someday. If you attempt anything above average, if you aspire to anything above the level of mediocrity, you're going to get knocked down occasionally. You can count on it. In this world, you're just going to be abused and bruised from time to time. Someone has called it the factor in the fight or the tuition that you pay for triumph. Every success, folks, is stained with the blood of defeat and disfigured by the scars of disappointment. Every one of them. But always remember this, you're never beaten by getting knocked down. You're only beaten when you refuse to get back up. As I was preparing this lesson, I could reach to a book nearby on on my bookshelves in the library, and I pulled out this quotation. And as I was reading it, I thought it was very much germane to the subject, and I wanted to share it with you. It's just a brief paragraph. Nothing in this world, the author says, can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. And that's just verifying what Paul said already. In our text, take a look at it one more time. 
If you have your Bibles closed, please open them again to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look again at verses 8, 11, 10 and 11 before we quit. He was writing these inspired words specifically about the subject of stewardship, if I understand the context correctly. But applicable to a lot of things outside that one area of Christian development. Let me remind you again of what he said. And in this, I give advice. Again, Paul writing by inspiration. This is the mind of God, not just what Paul thinks on the subject. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. That readiness to desire it phrase sounds almost like something my mama used to say. You are really quick to want something, Randy. And that's basically what Paul is saying. You are very quick to desire something, but now, do you remember what it was that you wanted a year ago? And more important, have you done the necessary things to bring that about so that you've actually completed making your dream come true? And when I read that, I think it sounds so fresh and relevant. Have you ever known anyone who was planning to do something commendable a year ago? You know, planning to do something good is always commendable. But Paul then says, and I repeat, but you've got to complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also will be a completion out of what you have. That is, use your resources to be able to carry through, to endure to the very end, so that you'll be able to look back over your life with no regrets and to say, I've actually accomplished something for the Lord and for his glory and for his honor. Looking back over my shoulder at bygone years, I see a lot of talented acquaintances and I don't mean this to be cruel, but just to be absolutely truthful, who've never really accomplished a great deal in their lives. Some never started. Others started. And then they stumbled. And then they stopped. And now they're shuffling off into the sunset, thinking just like Paul talked about, about what might have been. And some of them may be even blaming fate for their failure. I'm telling you that the most unproductive person on the planet can produce a, a good excuse for their poor performance. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm the victim of a dysfunctional family. I don't belong to the right group. I don't know the right people. I don't have the right education. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time, and I never get any breaks. Ad infinitum ad nauseum. We can always find an excuse for not having completed what it was that we planned to do a year ago. And I don't want to be insensitive here, but those excuses, that old, as we used to say in the North Georgia mountains, that old dog won't hunt. I mean, there is absolutely no reason why we can ever say any of those things give me a valid reason for not carrying through with the commitments that I've made to the God who created this universe. Every successful person has to, had to overcome one or more of those things that I just mentioned in order to be able to get where they're going. Most had to overcome several of them. After all, and we need to tell ourselves this from time to time, the, all of those things are just hurdles. They are not walls. Harvard's Dean Briggs once said, It is not native gifts, heredity, luck, or the right connections that makes us successful. It is a matter, listen church, it is a matter of doing what we do as best we can. That just makes sense, doesn't it? And doesn't it sound like what Paul said in our text? 
God's word reminds us over and over again never to measure our own achievements by the accomplishments of others. He said, anybody that does that's a fool. But rather by how you're using your own abilities. If you want the Bible for that, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Is exactly what Paul said in that text. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have a big-headed opinion of yourself. What I am proposing is a powerful partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to always remember, as Ethel Waters once said, Jesus don't sponsor no flops. If you have determined and committed yourself and your life to being used of God, he will do something powerful with your life. I remember hearing a sermon 35, maybe 40 years ago in a lectureship that I have never forgotten. The first point was, if you decide to become a Christian, God will make an adventure out of your life. And you know what? As I look back over the span of my 50 years of preaching, that's exactly what he's done. God will make your life a grand adventure. If only you'll step out and say, I am I want to live the way God would have me to live. I I truly am sorry for the way that I've been living, and I'm committed to living the way God would have me to live from this point forward. If I understand the Bible subject of repentance, that's what repentance is, a determination not only to express and feel sorrow for my sins and mistakes, but also a determination that I'm not going to make those mistakes ever again in my life. At least that's the commitment. Now, we, we, we'll, we'll fall and we'll falter and we'll make mistakes. But the determination, the commitment needs to be, I'm going to live in, and make the right choices in every area where God would have me to choose his will over the will of the world. And I'm going to have the courage to confess my belief that Jesus is God's son. And I'm going to have someone baptize me into Christ so that I can touch, contact the blood of Jesus Christ and have all of the sins that I have ever committed in my past life washed away and covered by his blood. This is the righteousness that that Jesus imputes into our lives. We will never be saved because we're good. We'll be saved only because God is good and because he's done all of those things that we need in order to make us prepared to meet God someday in judgment. So that, that powerful partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that I know of that can make a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl successful in the eyes of God. And when you turn your life over to Jesus, he has guaranteed you, watch this carefully, an eternal success story. An eternal success story. Someday he'll carry you out of this life into the very next. You'll trade this old disease-ridden, aching, painful body in on a new one. And you'll hear the words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. In the words of David from Psalm 37 and verse 5, I leave this thought with you as we stand and sing in just a moment. Commit everything that you do to the Lord. Trust him to help you to do it, and he will bring it to pass. And this morning, if what you need to be doing is committing your life to the Lord, we pray that you'll do it right now while we stand and while we sing.